Hey everybody, this is Jeff Stevens and this is the Creative Stick Up. Um, I don't know what day this is, but if it's Tuesday, June 14th, and you're listening to this podcast, Filaments, um, run by my guest today, Matthew Holman, is actually having an open house tonight. It could be right now. It's from 3.30 to 7.30. Um, it's on Washington Avenue. So check it out if you are listening to this and want to go actually see the space. If not, listen to the podcast. Matthew is a terrific guest. We talk about his uh, days as being a lawyer. That's where he started. To being a mediator, then a facilitator, then uh, working for X-Plane and Kindio, and now opening this one-of-a-kind space in St. Louis called Filament, where they have facilitated meetings that you can buy. So check out the site. I'll post all this stuff and enjoy my conversation with Matt Homan. like I love it. I get geeky on that kind of stuff. I've been uh, I've been talking with another guy about playing around with the idea of a video podcast around facilitation and yeah. as it relates to organizational development. Yep, yep. All right, cuz yep. we we both come at it from fully different perspectives and the non-traditional yep. side and it's really all the it's more horror stories than anything else. <laughs> right. What not to do? Yeah. That's funny. This is the perfect space for it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's awesome. We're really excited. Uh, yeah. So, we yeah, can, so uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear. So it's Matthew. Uh, Matthew. Most people, most friends call me Matt. Okay, so it's Matt. There you go, Matt Holman. Um, you are you from St. Louis? I grew up in Highland, Illinois. Okay. So that's uh, is that so, near Chicago. No, it's no. about thirty miles from here. So if you're okay. from Highland, we grew up in St. Louis. If you're from St. Louis, <laughs> I grew up in Illinois. Gotcha. Totally makes sense. That's cool. But has your career mostly been here? Uh, no, I actually started out as a lawyer. Did so you? Oh, we I, talked uh, about this. I, went, I was like, you have a law degree? Yeah, I went to Wash U uh, for law school uh, and then went back first to Edwardsville, Illinois, okay. and then to Highland, okay. uh, ultimately opening up my own practice. So okay. I was a solo practitioner uh, on my own for seven years in total practice for about 13. Oh my gosh. What, and is Highland, what kind, is it like a suburb kind of place it, or is it, it a, its own little town? It's funny, on, on the Illinois side of the river, there aren't suburbs, right? right. Because they don't. Because of, of all the farmland and yeah. all the industrial stuff. So Highland was a very much self-contained little town. town. Yeah, We had industry. Uh, the nearest town was seven miles away. Okay. That sort of thing. But okay. it's starting to change. It's, start, it's hit Edwardsville. And now you know, we're... It's kind of all bleeding we're, together. We're, coming, we're becoming West County in yeah, some yeah. ways. Another <laughs> 10 years and you won't be able to tell it apart. Right, right. So do you still make it back there? I do. Uh, parents my, parents, my parents live there. Yeah. Uh, my sister's there. Was there yesterday, as a matter of fact. Okay. So if you grew up there and ultimately decided you were going into the law, right, through high school, you're like, okay, somehow I'm going to, and you went to Washu, which is the best law school, I assume, in this area. You must have, at some point, like, said, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And then somehow you got to creativity. So what? It's, it, it, it's not an easy answer. Uh, <laughs> only because I... I, I I'm sure the law is a very creative, is it? It, it, it can be. What's so the interesting thing TV? about lawyers is that they're incredibly creative for their clients, uh, but they're really creative when it comes to their own business model. Okay. And part of that is driven by the fact that they that every minute of their day has had a value put on it, much like in the advertising yep. agency when sure. you're billing by the hour. Yep. And so you have these lawyers who struggle to justify the four or five or six hours of time it would take to rethink something because they won't make money on it. Right. Uh, and by the same token, you know that your daughter's piano recital is going to cost you $400 because, again, the time you're not working is time you're not billing. Yeah. And so one of the things that, that was unique for me and what started me down this path is that I was one of the early legal bloggers. Okay. So I was blogging, uh, still have a blog, I don't touch it as much as I used to, 13 years ago. Okay. Wow. And so it's there like, was... That's like blogging just was... Just blogging one-on-one. Pre-blogging, yeah. Went, it was right when Typepad came out okay. for the first time and that was a transformative platform Yeah. because uh, we were otherwise cobbling together ways to do this earlier. I, yeah. I, once I, got, once I got past the technical side, I was blogging. The blog was called The Non-Billable Hour. <laughs> and it name. really was about, uh, I was writing about ways to be more innovative, creative as a lawyer. Okay. We stopped uh, keeping timesheets really okay. for the last seven, eight years of our practice. Wow. 
uh, thought about client service. I, I had someone as, who's actually called me. I got inducted into an honor society for lawyers a while ago, mm-hmm. and they called me the Seth Godin of um, lawyers. I don't know that that uh, that, that that's that, not bad. It, it, it's not bad. Except Come on. in the room, I'm the only person who understood the reference. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who? Who? Seth God? It was actually yeah. Seth Godin of oh, lawyers. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, but what happened was I realized that it's kind of my village idiot theory. And that in my bar association, Madison, even St. Clair County, I was the one lawyer who was trying to think about doing things differently. Okay. I hated keeping time, track of time. I was terrible at it. Yeah. Uh, and found better ways to run my practice. But when I would share what I was doing with my, with my peers... They'd look at me like I was the village I idiot bet, I bet. in like, a square, you know, on a soapbox saying the world's going to end. Yeah. And, and had this been even five years earlier, much less 10 or 20 years earlier, I would have been the kind of outcast, iconoclast, the person who's trying things and no one else cares. Yeah. But the internet connected all of us. Yeah. And so I realized through my blog that in a very short amount of time, there were hundreds if not thousands of other lawyers who were thinking about the same stuff. There yeah. was one per village, one per bar association. Yeah. But as we started to connect, it, it got me uh, writing the, more. All the village idiots getting together. All the village idiots, <laughs> the internet connects us all. <laughs> and, and what happened was from there, I started speaking and writing okay. more. And that really started what's taking me down the path where I am now. But uh, the more you get to ask to speak as a lawyer, the more CLEs or continuing legal education okay. seminars you get invited to. Right. And they're terrible. Right. Uh, and I thought they were uniquely terrible because that's what lawyers needed to learn. And I learned that really every conference, meeting, retreat, off-site, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. is equally terrible. <laughs> and, right. and I was sitting around a bar in Chicago with a bunch of friends of mine who were at this conference. Okay. Where it was an American Bar Association Technology Conference. Okay. And it was three in the morning. The bar had been closed for probably an hour and a half. But we were having these amazing conversations about things that would have never made the agenda of the conference. Right. Things that everyone probably wanted to know about, but just were never going to be on the agenda. Well, it was the things that we wanted to know about. Yeah, okay. Right? But not the things that the average conference goer would know about. Because most of us were there to speak. Many of us Mm -hmm. were blogging. We were kind of on that edge. Yeah. And uh, decided that wouldn't it be cool if we all stuck around the following year an extra day. Okay. Airfare had already been paid for in most cases, yep. and talked about the future of law practice. Okay, and so we did a first conference. It was—I I know this for a fact. It was really the first legal unconference. It's called LexThink, which is a name of a company that I've owned now for several years. Mm-hmm. And it was an open space. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, gathering of kind of innovative law practitioners. We thought there'd be twenty of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we invited forty. Uh, we made an invitation only so we wouldn't fail too publicly. Yeah, yeah. But we blogged about it, and we had people who came out of the woodworks from all over the country, U.S. and Canada, yeah. who wanted to come. Wow. And they wanted to come just for the day. They didn't care about no, the, the other thing. The other thing. Yeah. We had a CEO of American Lawyer Media. We had consultants. And this is the first in. year. First year. Wow. And and it was this most amazing event of again talking mm-hmm. about what was important to mm-hmm. us. And that was really for me the first step down this path of realizing that not only are conferences universally terrible, I wasn't the only person who hated them. Yeah. And that building a different way to do it mm-hmm. wasn't particularly hard as, as long as you're willing to make, to take some chances and make some mistakes. Yeah. And through multiple paths since then, I've kind of really thought differently about conferences, meetings for now, well over a decade. Yeah. Wow. And to finally have a place to put everything into practice that I've been trying to do forever. This is it. The culmination. So just, and we'll totally get to this awesome space, but what kind of lawyer were you? I'd love to know that. I was a general practitioner. I started off doing insurance defense. Okay. Hated it. Yeah. Uh, And then I was the, I was a small town lawyer. Okay. So any chance. So I did everything but really criminal and personal injury. Okay. But I was, I I was a great cocktail party lawyer. I was always, uh, I could. Everything from from corporations to real yep. estate to uh, divorce. I did a lot of mediation, okay. uh, and I was really the, uh, the, an early mediation practitioner on the Illinois side. Yeah. Uh, got to do lots of high conflict mediation, and I think more than anything else, that was my facilitation yeah. training. I was just going to say, like, that's exactly you're sort of doing that, I guess, in many ways, trying to get the answers between between trying cases yeah. and mediation. It's hard to imagine a better facilitation. Right. Background. Yeah. Right. Paying attention to lots of things at once. Yeah. 
paying attention to lots of people at once. Yeah. Trying to read and a room, trying to read. Body language, yep. uh, crossed arms, frowns, etc. Yeah. And also to try and get people who don't specifically want to be there mm -hmm. to get to an outcome that they both appreciate. Yeah. There's a, there's a magic to that, I'm sure, an art or whatever. And, and, and I think the best thing that happened to me was I was never trained to be a facilitator. Yeah, you just did this. Because otherwise yeah. I'd be in front of a flip chart writing down bullet right. points. Right, like everybody else. Like everybody else does. Yeah. So you bring this unique skill to it. All right, so you're in Chicago inventing this conference. You're with all these other innovative lawyers, right? And so this, this industry, it's sort of like if there's an industry, I guess, that's ripe for disruption, it's the law. I would assume there's just a way of doing things in, in the law that constantly is being pushed, correct? It's, it's ripe but for not. disruption, yet completely regulated. So imagine right. Okay. Right. here in St. Louis how much difficulty Uber had getting into town. Right. Because you had a bunch of self-interested people yeah. who run the taxi commission who knew that it was going to change their business. Right. Law is just like that. Yeah, times 10. Times 10, yeah. times 1,000. Because yeah. you, you have to be licensed to yeah. buy. It's a guild. Yeah. But, but the real challenge is that lots and lots of lawyers in particular are so focused on client work mm -hmm. that, they, that they don't pay attention to the gigantic meteor coming down with them. I, I, it, it's, it's true of lawyers and many professions, but sure. it's, the, it's the idea that we're, we're in the woods, there's a bear approaching, and as a competitor, I don't have to run faster than the bear, I just have to run faster than everybody else. <laughs> right. And there's no slower profession change than lawyers. Yeah. So the handful of lawyers, and I was one of these, I think, yeah. and, and we're starting to do more and more events, I, and I've stayed involved in the legal practice yeah. world, even though I've not practiced for several times, for several years. Yeah is that there's an amazing opportunity for progressive, smart, and creative practitioners mm -hmm. to get miles ahead of their competitors because yeah. the, the business model, the traditional use of associates versus partners, there's a huge room for innovation. Yeah. And uh, most people don't think that it can ever change because they assume that everything clients need from them today, they'll always need from them, yeah. which could not be less true. Yeah, that's funny. Did you figure out how to, what, did you start billing on value? Did you, when you took away billing at billable hours, what, what, how did you figure out what you're billing? We did a lot of stuff actually. Yeah. It was, we, we realized that for a client, it wasn't something that was only one other way. Okay. So we did menu pricing. Okay. Uh, we did a thing we, we Because every agency is constantly trying to figure this out, right? And, and they're in many cases in the same boat as lawyers. Yep. Uh, we did a uh, we did a monthly uh, subscription model. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, we would incorporate clients for free, and then we would give them three monthly prices, A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. Highest always leave with the highest level because it sets your value. Uh, each tier would have completely different things. Mm -hmm. uh, they would all include unlimited phone calls. Okay. Uh, and we renamed our secretary our client concierge. Nice. Uh, she would call clients if they hadn't called us. Yeah. And uh, depending upon the level of service, we'd really focus at the, the top level, trying to identify what caused that client to lose the most sleep. And oftentimes we'd find by talking to their spouse, we'd get a better answer than from them. That's funny. And so just as an example, this gets, a little, this gets a little bit into the weeds, but if we had a construction client, someone who built houses, yep. at a very high level, we would follow their mechanics lanes. Right, everyone, even though they would normally only file them when they thought they weren't going to get paid. Yeah, say that uh, again. You follow what? We'd file their mechanics liens. And so mm -hmm. every time someone does uh, improvement on real estate, mm -hmm. they can uh, file a lien so they get paid. Oh. Yep. Uh, or they can foreclose on the real estate. Yep. What happened was the moment we started doing that as a matter of course, we made it cheaper for the client. We built process around it. Mm -hmm. uh, we made sure they were always doing it right versus giving us the proverbial shoebox full of receipts. Yeah. But we had took that approach with all of our clients. And because in many cases we'd incorporated them for free, we gave them something that to them seemed of significant value to us cost nearly zero. Mm -hmm. uh, they had money left in their budget to try us. Yeah, yeah. And once they tried us, they kept us. Yeah. Uh, we would also do menu pricing. Uh, but we found that part of the problem with if you and I go to a restaurant mm -hmm. and we look at the menu, we've been to a restaurant before. Right. We understand what an appetizer is. Right. We understand what a main course is, and we understand that given the money we might have, we can spend some time thinking about how we want to best spend it. Okay. I'll skip the appetizer, but I'll take the soup, but yeah. I really want some dessert, yeah. or we'll get the bottle of wine. Right. 
But in law, and I think this is true in many professions, the menu pricing doesn't work particularly well because people have never ordered a meal before. Yeah, they don't know what this thing is. And right. so if you give me 37 things that I need in my business and all but three of them are completely unfamiliar to me, yeah. that doesn't make it, that doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. And so what we started doing, and what we've done this, I've done this with more clients now than what we ended up doing in our practice a lot, is we would come up with sample meals. Okay. So imagine you're going through a divorce, mm -hmm. right? The divorce can be anything from one end, we all get along, we agree, we don't have real estate, we don't have kids, we sign it, we're done, we never see each other again, to the my spouse is batshit crazy. Yeah, right. And uh, all have... the terrible things that happen in divorce, yeah, the yeah. Uh, restraining orders, mm -hmm. the appraisals, the sales of contested property. And so we started giving people sample meals Okay. Along with their menu, yeah, yeah. So he said, "Okay, if your client is, if your spouse is batshit crazy mm -hmm. and vindictive and mean, here's a forty thousand dollar meal you're going to have to order from us, yeah. right? It might not be exactly forty thousand. Yeah. You might substitute one thing for the other, yeah. but this is how expensive it can get. Yeah. At the same token, we've got kids, but we get along. Mm -hmm. Probably fifty-fifty custody. That meal is twelve thousand, right? Or whatever it turned out to be. Yep, yep." And by anchoring price with them and figuring out more creative ways to do deposits and retainers mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even anchoring the end cost for them, even if they were paying us in four installments of $5,000, right. we started to realize that the other thing is that once they understood what the price was going to be or could be, yeah, yeah. it made them easier to find the dollars for that. Yeah. Because if I say to you that, and this is true in... in a logo, right? I yep. want an identity and, yep. and you tell me the logo is going to cost you $2,000. Right. Maybe high, maybe low. Right. Uh, depending upon who the listeners are, maybe really, really low. Yeah. But I then say, okay. So I've now anchored in my head $2,000. That's the money I set aside, whether I borrow it from someone mm -hmm. else, I might be a startup or I set it aside for the quarter, my quarterly spending. Yep. And you say, oh, but you also want this and this and this. That's another $18,000. Right. And now I don't have access to the money. Like, it's, it, I, I've not budgeted for it. Mm -hmm. This is especially true in a divorce where you're often asking someone else for yeah. help financing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but the moment we gave them that menu of here's what it could cost and here's what the panoply of services could be, uh, we found that they would find it easier to ask for the big check first. Yeah. And so we did a lot of really creative big ways, ways to, to do pricing. My, my favorite piece on the pricing side was I would talk to, we had a client we did evictions for, okay. uh, and we built a process for them for free. Yeah. Here's the 12 documents, here's the order, we trained their staff, mm -hmm. and every month we'd get three or four evictions, primarily people who hadn't paid for a long time. They, right. were, they were pretty decent landlords, believe it or not. Yeah. And all the paperwork would be perfect. Which I'm, yeah. I'm Everything that they built that followed our process fed right into what we needed, and they bring a check. Yeah. So they we get a thousand dollars, seven hundred fifty, whatever the number was, along with the filing fee, and the eviction was done no matter what. Yeah. And so they got cost certainty. We made more money than we would have ever made by the hour. Yeah. yeah. And they were happier. Yeah. And so when you start to talk about alternative fees, it's really about not just finding success metrics for the business, but yeah. But how does it? How does it make it easier for the client? How to does do it that? make it easier yeah. for the client to hire you? Yeah. Yeah, that's genius. Well, and yeah, you know every agency is constantly trying to figure. So I think in the with the social media agencies, they're starting to start to put together packages and things like that that you can just kind of go off the shelf with. But yeah, that's uh, that's a, definitely a model that needs lots of thinking around. The, 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 and, and here's what I would say is that the thinking's been done. Yeah. What is keeping agencies in many cases from changing is that the people who've gotten best at the existing model are the people running the agencies. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 in in law firms, for example, it, it's very similar. Is that the partners who've cracked the billable hour code are the ones in charge of maintaining the billable, billable hours? Hour. Yeah, uh, and the compens the compensation schemes at play. Yeah. So if if I go into a law firm, and we still do a handful of retreats, but if I go into a law firm, and and they want to innovate more, they want to be more creative, they want to cross sell, they want to do all these things yeah. that culturally you think businesses should automatically want to do. Yeah. If the comp plan is not at yeah. play, they're never going to be able to incentivize the behaviors yeah. they need to change. Yep. And the people who are best at the existing terrible behaviors are the ones running the firm. Yep. That's so funny. Yeah. Everyone's in that same thing. All right. So let's, let's go. You, you have done this in Chicago, started this, figured out all kinds of new creative ways. And then at some point you get into, you cross this, 
put down the law guns, <laughs> put down the law books and start to become a facilitator? Did you work for an agency here in town? Or uh, how, a a little bit. So, yeah. so my path uh, was practicing law, yeah. had a chance to essentially kind of take a sabbatical when my ex at the time, who was a Purina, went to L.A. for a year and a half. Yeah. So that was when I started doing facilitation. That was right around our first conference. People started to ask us to do the similar kinds of okay. conferences. So you for started them. doing it in the law thing. Still in You're the like, law thing. Do this. And and yeah. two things happened. One is that when we came back to St. Louis, um, I realized that the only way to get good at this and to do it well and to market it was to stop practicing law. Okay. So I stopped practicing. Did you uh, miss that? Was that a hard decision? Or were you like I, eh, I, I missed? I missed. The intellectual stimulation of it, but I get that now yeah, yeah. without all the pain and crying. <laughs> That's uh, a good trade-off. It's, it's, it's an incredible trade-off. <laughs> uh, came back to St. Louis, started doing these uh, things called Idea Markets, which were a facilitated happy hour. Cool. Uh, it was a chance to practice. So I had a lot. Of, I had a chance to try lots and lots of things. Uh, ran into, and I, I see that uh, you've done a, a, a podcast with Dave Gray. Yeah. Dave Gray started coming to them. He invited okay. me to join, explain for oh, cool. their visual thinking schools. Oh, cool. I worked for them for a year. Okay, uh, that really added the visualization piece to the yeah. you know the so visualization that sort of put era. Both sides together. Yep. And uh, did you find you're a good drawer? I can't draw, but can't I'm not afraid to draw. Matter. Okay, right. Isn't that funny? I have you just a, can't be afraid to draw. Doesn't as, matter. As we're sitting in this room, I yeah. have two artists next door to us. Yeah. Uh, who can draw anything you can imagine sure. better than you can imagine. Right. Yet the things on the whiteboard of the room we're in now is my bad-looking hamburger-sized <laughs> lack of perspective oh, I'll get a platform. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to share that. I'm going to say that's oh, confidential just so you can take a picture of that. I like that. that. Yes. Oh, good. Um, there's probably lots of confidential stuff around here. There, there's the walls, right? you got to like clean it up. We, we do. We, we leave the stuff up that yeah. we can, but yeah, a significant chunk of our work is confidential. Uh, I then started doing a lot of work for Microsoft. I facilitated an okay. experience that they rolled out around the country. Okay. Uh, went to uh, Coca. I was the first director of Coca Biz. Yep. So that really started to bring okay. some of the some of the That's music cool. and theater yeah. and improv pieces into the into so the. So when they capabilities. first decided that they were going to add businesses, kind of Coca Biz, start this thing, you were the first director. Of yep. That's cool. I like that. I like what they're doing. I think their stuff is really interesting, right? It, it's it's interesting yeah. that the, the significant challenge is really this need, and, and it's, it's a struggle that I know that I had there, yeah. is that there is, you have two separate things you're trying to meld together. So on the one hand, things need to be authentic from an arts yes. component, yes. right? Uh, which means that the artists are the ones who are the final say on, on authenticity, yep. whether they should or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it also should be useful from a business standpoint. Right. And the artists have oftentimes chosen to be artists because they do not want to care what's important from a business perspective. Right. And so there's this constant tension between the two. That's, that's great. They can meld incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, arts have been how we've taught one another for since the beginning of time. Sure. You know, what, and I always, th I always yeah. thought when, when I was pitching it, it was thinking about, you know, from the drawings in the caves of France to the stained glass windows. Like, yeah. art has always been the way that we've learned. Yeah. Uh, but that was always a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Is when when can you marginalize the authenticity of the arts to get a bit better business outcome? Yeah. And when can't you? Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's trying to mash up these two worlds that just you choose them specifically because you don't want the other one, right? That, I, I, that's exactly <laughs> right. You, you almost. You know, it's almost uh, that's funny. It's the, the ultimate, oil and water, it's right? Art and commerce, that, man. It's the I'm ultimate. A, I'm an artist. Centuries. That's so funny. And so it's funny to me when you yeah. talk about kind of the, especially the advertising business. Like yeah. that's the one place, place where that's really where you look at people who feel who have facility on both sides yeah. of the yep. both sides of the divide. Yeah, they do a little bit of both. You got to have both. That's interesting. All right, so you're you were at Coca Biz, and then where did you go from there? I uh, after I left Coca Biz. Uh, I started to do more and more facilitation, but I'd had this legal facilitation company called yeah. LexThink. Okay. Uh, it was doing a fair amount of law firm retreats all over the country, yeah. working with rooms full of a, as many as a thousand lawyers at once, okay. and facilitating them through conversation, yeah. round tables, face-to-face -face exercises, etc. Yeah. And uh, had been doing more Microsoft work, and so I found myself in this weird conundrum that lawyers wouldn't hire me unless I built myself as someone who only worked with lawyers. Okay. Interesting. Yet... I struggled to have Microsoft hire me more because it looked like I only worked lawyers. lawyers. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, a friend of mine here in town who had a company called Kendio, he was okay. moving to New York. Okay. 
And uh, it really, there wasn't much left of it when I, uh, he approached me with it. And I took it over as a place to really build my non-legal facilitation and design practice. Okay. And within a few months of taking over, uh, one of the legacy clients got to know me and all of a sudden uh, went from a five-figure to a mid-six-figure yeah. relationship. Yep, yep. And so I was scrambling now, really unintentionally running a design agency. Yeah, right. And so Kendio... And was Kendio a design agency or was it a it was, it, hybrid? It, a little bit of a hybrid. When, when uh, the, the original owner... It was really around training organizational development gotcha. using visuals. Okay. Uh, but having had the explained background, yeah. it started to really up the game from a visual standpoint. Gotcha. And bringing people to draw in the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we would always draw live uh, and started to find, especially with one particular client, a very large healthcare organization, mm -hmm. that they were starting to value us as much for the... CEO in the room with us, yeah. helping them come up with how to explain their big idea yeah. and push back, quite yeah. frankly, yeah. as for the process maps, the 100 plus process maps we've done for them. Yep. And so, Kendio started to become a bigger company than I expected. At one point, we mm -hmm. were six designers. Wow. Uh, completely under the radar here in St. Louis. Yeah. No one knew who we were. Yeah. Uh, but more and more of our work started to become higher and higher levels. Again, going back to my work with lawyers, strategy retreats. Yeah. And, you know, 50 person offsites. Yep. Where we would use the visual tools that we created, but along with the drawing live in the room and the facilitation. Yep. To build out this better result for people. Yep. And so for a while, it was really what I thought was the perfect intersection of the Venn diagram of my skill set. Yeah. But we kept on getting thrown into terrible rooms. Right. Right? You're in the like hotel ballroom. Right. Ballrooms. You're, in, you're in the yeah. conference room, yeah. the executive conference room. <laughs> uh, you were trying to draw on things. You had, the, you had the night center. They want you to put stuff on the walls. Yeah. Like, we kept on finding that to do our best work, we were always, there was always something we had to give up yeah. when we got in the room. And we never knew what it was yeah. until we the day before yeah. at best. Well, yeah, it's funny when you're in our business. Or, yeah, and I've done enough meetings here, but you always have you always advance scout a room. Like you call someone and say, "Go in there and take pictures and find out what's in there." And you're always like, "Oh, this room sucks." And then you got to plan your whole meeting on how to make this room work. And and Isn't and that funny, especially with hotels. Yeah, hotels. Yeah, you, you you go to the hotel and you, you get the advance thing. You look at the website. Yeah. But no one will tell you that the steward in charge that day will be the only person who doesn't think you can put post-it notes on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you're all of a sudden going from yeah. – and, and hotels – and it gets a little bit to, to our business model now, but we, we often talk about hotels being like casinos in that their very design is built around taking the most money out of your pocket yeah. without regard for the outcome. Yeah, right. And so everything we would want to do – oh, well, okay, let's bring in easels. I'm sorry. Easels cost – Right. Whatever they cost. $25 yeah. an hour. Yeah. Or yeah. we need another pad of post-it notes, so that's $100, and, and so on and so on and so yeah. on. And so really what led us to Filament was this continually doing what we felt was suboptimal work mm -hmm. in rooms of our clients choosing. Yep, that's funny. Do you remember the moment where this, where Filament popped into your head or had it been floating around? Do you remember it, where you were? It had been floating around a little bit. I don't remember where I was, but I remember knowing we were looking for office space. Okay. And so Filament originally was just a Kendio office. Yeah. So this 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 specific space was this this it, that was the original plan. So okay. when I looked at this split space, yeah, we're in, we're at fifteen eighteen Washington. I would encourage everyone. You're, you're probably send send an email. I'll post this to come have a tour. Oh, you kind of got to see it, right? Absolutely. All so right. right now we have ten thousand square feet of twenty foot ceiling, brick yeah. walls, natural light, yeah. original right. oak. Maple floors. Yeah, like, I'll post some pictures, and I'm sure there's a website that we yep. can everyone check out. Right, we, we've got a pretty cool space, but originally it was going to be about a third the size, and it was going to be Kendo's offices. Yeah, okay. And we would be able to invite people in yeah. to do some meetings, but we were thinking the meeting was 20 people or 30 right. people. Right. And what started to happen is, as we started to look at this, we negotiated a lease that gave us the right of first refusal on adjacent space. Okay. And someone started to look at the front spot and then like, oh, we should make a decision. Okay, let's take a little bit more. Is this the London Tea Room? The uh, London Tea Room is on the other side, okay. of the, but yes, in the same general building. Yeah, yeah, it's close, but okay, sorry. 
And, and we found out that uh, as we started to think about more space, and when I say we, this was really me at the time, yeah. uh, now since built an amazing team, that it, the idea of a dedicated meeting space yeah. that could do 100 people for a conference that could do offsites that was built for the kind of meetings we wanted to do turned out to be a bigger idea than Kendia. Yeah. Kendia, and, and you know, if you're in the design and, and the agency business, everything's custom. Yeah. It's really hard to template something out yeah. that you can sell to multiple people. Yep. I've had this, yeah. How, how do you productize this? I'm like, you kind of don't because you just built it for this. I know. It's tough. And people in that business want advertising agencies to be able to productize everything. But you know, it's tough. It, it, it's tough. So it's what, spoke. what we've been able to do, and so filament is really, yeah. in, in a positive way, is going to eat Kendia. Okay. Right? So, yeah. so we've been... Uh, we're probably six months away or less of Kendio disappearing, uh, that team coming over full-time for filament. Yeah. Uh, because we still have, we still are doing the design work. We still yeah. have a handful of design clients. Uh, but what's really fascinating to me is the moment that you say that design is the meaning. Yeah. Right? And it's not just design thinking, but it's literally that, that, that we're thoughtful about design. We're drawing live. We have 2,000 square feet of whiteboards yeah. here so, in our space. So just so everyone knows, this is... You come here and have a facilitated meeting in an amazing space. That's the point. We all know meetings and conferences are what they are, right? And so this, and yet we all spend God knows how many hours in these places, right? And so this entire space is for to come down. And there's, you could do 20 here, you could do 200 here, and have a facilitate. You're buying this whole thing. You're buying this experience, right? That, that's right. You, yeah. you don't. We, we obviously you don't rent the space. You buy the meeting. You buy the meeting. Okay. And so, so from a business model standpoint, we price per person per day. Okay. Includes everything. Okay. Includes facilitation methodology, the materials, the tools we build. We have productized a handful of those already. Plus food, plus yep. beverage, plus post-it notes, plus beer. If you want to go to the refrigerator and grab a beer, like it's those yep. sorts of things that. We've essentially taken the traditional hotel experience where logistics and space are divided. They're owned by someone separate than the person who owns the meeting itself, right. the outcome. Yep. Yep. And been able to say it's all part of one thing. Yep. Uh, we're, they're designed together. We make things as simple as possible to buy, uh, super easy to plan. And then our focus is really with the owners of the meeting. In many cases, it's the person who owns the P&L. It's yep. the person who... Uh, owns the sales team or the outcome or this or the strategy mm -hmm. uh, that they're working through or the initiative and we say to them what what's good look like yeah when you walk out of here at the end of the day uh, how will you measure success how will your attendees measure success and more importantly how will your organization measure the success of the meeting a month six months a year out yeah, yeah. because we we've often said that me you know, measurement everyone in the startup scene is really uh, purportedly say, you know, say they're focused on measurement. Yes. But most people who have meetings, their measurements are pretty high. They're fours on a scale of five. Yeah. Right? And, and I don't know that Henry Ford actually said it, but the if I'd have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yes. The real, he, I think he did say that. I've heard that. The, the, yeah, the, the real goal is, is not to make people love their meeting here as much as to hate every other meeting they don't do here. <laughs> because once you've, once you've experienced and sitting in... Uh, sitting on a leather couch yeah. and having a conversation yeah. engaged uh, in a much different way, we think that people are going to hate going back to the ball. If I'm, so if I'm out there planning a meeting, uh, what are the questions? Because, you know, it's funny. People who get in meetings sometimes aren't meeting planners. It's like I have a day job. And they're like, hey, go figure this out. Have a meeting. And I have lots of people like that, right? But they just this is not what they do. The, it, the, we've learned that Really, that 100-person meeting and smaller, yes. the person who's planning that meeting, it's never their full-time job. It's never their full-time Right. It's their second full-time job. It's their second full-time job. That's and a stress. It's a tremendous amount of stress. Yeah. And if it's not something they do regularly, they are oftentimes the unsophisticated consumer uh, dealing with a very sophisticated seller. Yes. And so we want them, along with the person for whom they're planning the meeting, mm -hmm. right? their boss, their boss's boss, the team, mm -hmm. et cetera, to contact us first, yeah, because then th th that so. planner's role becomes go back to your original full-time job, mm -hmm. uh, support the 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 team that's going to be here, but don't worry about order which lunch to pick. Yeah, right. Don't yeah. worry about yeah. uh, parking because yeah. we we take care of that. 
And then for that, uh, that meeting planner's boss, oftentimes he's an admin, yep. right? Mm -hmm. For his boss, we go to his boss and we ask her, what, what's good look like? Again, yeah. you know, what, yeah. what can we get out of this meeting? Yeah. And in some cases, it's a lot of discussion. Uh, we really don't want it to be much PowerPoint. Okay. Right. We, uh, we we have a screen. We have a projector. It can happen here, but it's not what we're doing. It's not obvious, and it's not up all the time. Yeah. And so uh, we really want to build it around engagement about them connecting. Yep. One, one of the other things, though, that I think that is uh, turning out to be a unique part of our business model is that we really, I think, are among the only place in the country uh, where you could buy conference as a service. Okay. So if you think about a group of 100 people, and we're doing a couple of these already, one that I'm involved with, which is, a, which is kind of a rehash of the Innovative Lawyer event that okay. started this whole thing, cool. is that you could come to us and say, I've got a unique group of people that are either fans of my blog, mm -hmm. they are uh, interested in something collective that I'm interested in, but I know that I can get 100 people in a room on a day or two. Oh, yeah. And they'll pay me money for that. That makes sense. We can totally go to them and say, I don't care what they pay you. Yeah. Right? If they'll pay you $5,000 a day, yeah. we can give you a, for as a service, we can give you for a fraction of that amount wow. a turnkey conference. Wow. I love that. Oh, I, I can think of like a client right now that I would totally turn you on with. So that's huge. If you have, if you're out there in a space, uh, video gaming space, or I have a couple of spaces that people are just into, right? And you, you're like, oh, we need to get together. But you, planning and executing a conference, if you don't know anything about that, that's a whole other kettle of suck fish, right? Just doing it because it's just a pain in the ass to come here and just let you guys do all of that. Because what happens we'll is... We'll invite the people. Here's kind of what we want to learn. You, you guys figure this out. Yeah, and, and, and we don't pretend to be content experts. So yeah. you know, we work with those folks to say, you know, let's figure out a better way for you to share your knowledge. Because yeah. what tends to happen, even in those situations, is why conferences are almost all the same. Yeah is that you spend so much time and energy on the logistics yeah. and worrying about people being there, being there that you default into panels totally. and keynotes. Yep. And, and even, and this, is, this has always been amazing to me. I, I expect it among lawyers, but in the advertising and the kind of the quote-unquote capital creative, C creative, creative. industry, right. your conferences suck almost as bad as everybody else's. <laughs> and, and why do I want to hear someone yeah. speak? If, if I'm looking for an arcane point of law, maybe going to a conference is the only place I'm going to get that content. Yeah. When it comes to being inspired to run a creative agency, yeah. there are thousands of online videos from Creative Mornings, yeah. from all the 99U Talks, even, even TED Talks. Yeah. Yeah. That There's no shortage of inspiration. And now that content is ubiquitous, the, re the reason left for us to get on a plane and go face-to-face -face is connection. Yep. Yet in most conferences and meetings, that connection at best happens at 5.30 in the afternoon yeah, yeah. Uh, with alcohol yeah. and tends to be uncomfortable for introverts and in some cases women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. That's so funny. And everyone diverts that. So tell me, when you rethink this entire idea of conferences or meetings, uh, where do you get your inspiration? Are there certain principles and guiding things that you're like, here's what we live by or here's... I know these three or four things have to happen and we've succeeded or... There's, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, we've got a bit of a manifesto, but really for us... Can I, can I post that manifesto? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, there's right. a link on the site. We've got a All poster right. of it over there, as okay. a matter of fact. But, but really, it's, it's in-person versus online. Okay. Uh, I don't care that to make a meeting where people are in person to also be consumable online. Okay. The moment that the moment we try and also bring in an audience who didn't care to be there, right? Uh, we've now shrunk the experience for the people in the room. Yeah. Uh, to what's essentially works on a iPhone screen. Yeah. Uh, and so we're also it's face to face as much as possible. Uh, it's really letting the attendees in many cases guide their experience. Okay. It's not as wild west as asking them for an entire three days everything they want to talk about and let them build the agenda. Although yeah. it's part of what we do. Yeah. But really, it's about having enough flexibility to and, and, and permission from them for us to drive to the outcome they profess to want yeah. versus knowing that it's now 9.30 and this amazing conversation we're in has to end yeah. because we all need to take a break. Yeah. So, so it's, 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 it's flexibility, it's conversation, and it's really connection. Yeah. And, and at, at its core, it's about doing the things in the room that you can only do in the room and honoring those above everything else. Gotcha. 
and do you well, personally like are you what do you you cook hobbies inspiration netflix like what are you into man uh love to cook yeah uh yeah you said this i think we I, talked about this before you were uh, you were a cook were i a love to cook yeah. i love uh, i love to read okay. so I, everything fiction I'm, i've been on a huge science fiction uh Oh, nice. West lately, I just found just myself reading it. book after book after book. Cool. Uh, I'm always a nonfiction business book reader. Okay. Um, I probably still read, and this goes back to being a blogger. I still have an RSS feed okay. of probably a thousand plus blogs and sources. So I consume tons, tons of stuff. Okay. And uh, I'm regularly inspired uh, by something that it, it's the it's the tangential inspiration. Yeah. Like, really, do I see them like, I'm going to do that? Yeah. But yeah, I put it aside, I come back to them, like, if I twist it just a little bit, yep. that would work great for us. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Well, I think that's a lot of creativity, right? It's just sort of, sort of figuring out how do you recombine those things in new and different ways or whatever that is, right? That's awesome. This, this, well, and I think, do you know of another space that's like this, or is this pretty... There, there are in the country a handful of, of creative meeting spaces. Yeah. Uh, we can't really find one that has the underlying business model of what we do. So lots of them will let you come in, bring your own facilitators, yeah. bring your own experts. Uh, they might have some additional services they'll offer. Yeah. Uh, but we think we're fairly unique in that. And, and one of the things is that because meetings are terrible everywhere, yeah. uh, we want this to be the first filament, not the only filament. Yeah, that's cool. Well, this is funny. I, I think St. Louis is one of the biggest advantages that we have as a city is we have these amazing spaces, physical spaces you cannot get anywhere else. And I look at the city museum and I'm like, that's our world-class thing we have. And it's because we have the space that you could get. It's very few places you could put that amount of space. And I look at this place and I'm like, this is the ultimate place to have a meeting experience, right? In St. Louis. It's like you could fly here because you're not going to get this anywhere. This physical space is amazing. It, and then you add all of the stuff to it, right? It is dramatically cheaper to have those spaces here. <laughs> uh, although we do know that as we... Start to look at other places. As we start to look at other places, I, yeah. I don't know that this is going to be the case, but we think that there's a model where we find the, uh, an abandoned sports authority. Yeah. Yes. Like if we can figure out this. Then, then you know there is going to be that model. There's going to be a lot of them <laughs> uh, in about six sports weeks. Sports authority is now filament. <laughs> uh, but the, the space, if we can build the experience to be true to what we're doing yeah. in a space that's ubiquitous around the country, it makes expansion much easier. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the city museum... We're really excited to be on right this. Like, it's it's like, 300 steps from our get front door. inspired, right? Have a session over there. That's terrific. I love that. And so what? And how many? You've got three or four designers that work there? Okay. We have, uh, so I've got... Uh, like, like quickly walk me through. If I'm a client, I'm running a meeting. Just tell me the, the elevator pitch of what the process is here. Like, how do I engage with you guys and what do I get out of it? So the, the first thing we would do with you would obviously get you in to see the space if you'd see it. Yeah. Uh, we'll do a sketch session. So we'll literally spend, spend some time with you at the whiteboard drawing oh, what cool. your outcomes are. Oh, so cool. we'll, we'll literally build a visual meeting plan for you in the right room. There. Cool. Uh, brainstorm the kind of things we can do. Uh, we use Basecamp. It's super easy to get our clients on the same page. Yep. So we'll start to build out the exercises and think about what needs to happen for you in the day. Uh, figure out what pieces of content and expertise you contribute, what pieces mm -hmm. we become experts in. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we, we also are, are on the same, at the exact same time, working on the logistics side. So we have, here at Filament, there are, with our interns, there's going to be seven or eight of us here throughout the summer. Uh, we've got two full-time designers who are here. Another one of our designers is in Texas, but he comes up for big meetings. Okay. Uh, he also does a lot of our road work because we still go yeah. out from so time to time. Sure. Uh, a handful of contractors who also work with us, to, okay. to, especially for some of the drawing. Uh, and then my, I'm here, uh, my COO, uh, she's here, and then obviously our director of client experience is here. So we've got a pretty, a pretty diverse and unique team. Yep. And you know, to, to those in the, who are hearing this, we need more people. Okay. Right? We are, we're in this really strange boat of uh, being a startup and waiting for the revenue to come in, but we also know that given where things are projecting for us. Yeah. Uh, more designers, people who can draw live, okay. uh, but also people who are willing to think creatively about building some new types of engagements. Yeah, yeah. Be because one of the things that we can do here, and apart from the fact that we're giving away a nonprofit board meeting every month yeah. for free, so we're, okay. we're, we're trying to be part of the community, yep. is that the moment you own your space, 
the, the mechanics of doing events changes. Yeah. And so if I said that I want to do a cool event for 100 people, yeah. I invite them to come. Like it, it's, right. My problem is getting them here, not the logistics of the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're going to be doing a bunch of our own branded events as well. The one thing I'm most excited about, uh, there's two. One is a book club, which I'll talk about in a second. Okay. Uh, but the, the main one, we're branding it NSFW, New Skills for Work. Nice. And uh, nice. We, who came up with that, Cherry? Nice. Guilty as charged. Matthew, that's nice. We want to be able to do a monthly event. It could be a reception type happy hour, but that you literally gain one new skill. Yeah, that's nice. So those of you in, you know, who, and I know, Jeff, this fits in your in your yeah. uh, wheelhouse, the design thinking. Uh, yeah. there, there's some tips and tricks that are pretty simple. Yeah. But if I'm a COO or I run lots of meetings yeah. for a concrete ready mix manufacturer, I don't know how to do that. Right, right. And so it isn't going to be we're going to come in for a day of design thinking, but we're going to teach you one simple exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one might be giving feedback better face to face. A third that we're really, so I like just simple whiteboarding, awesome. like those That's kinds awesome. of skills. Yeah. Uh, and we're hoping that we can package that in a way that not only does that become a fun uh, thing for random people who want to learn more for their business to come, mm -hmm. but then you can go to a Purina, a Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. a Boeing and say, we have a, we have a curriculum yeah. for you to bring your 100 yep. new hires through, yep. right? Your high yep. potential yep. folks. That's uh, nice. And then from a book club standpoint. Yeah, it's just it's skills that everyone knows you need, but no one takes the time to teach you, and you guys can do it. Quickly, we, we right? and, and make it fun, and then make it fun. Yeah, and it'll just improve. Knowing those skills, your business will improve. I think even something as simple yeah. as affinity mapping. Yeah, how you can take five hundred post-it notes and break them down in the course of thirty minutes into about seven categories. Yeah, that now drive discussion. Like yeah. there's so many of those little things yeah. that, uh, as when you facilitate, there's just lots of them that just fall. Yeah. Yeah. Like you learn them, you happen against them. Yeah. You even like an elevator pitch. Like there's so many of these yeah. pieces to it. Uh, but we'll also be launching a book club. Uh, I love business books. Okay. The challenge is that uh, I don't love to talk about the exact book I read because I've already read it. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> like, I don't need to know more right. about it. I read this book. I read this book. So we're going to play around with a uh, book club where there's a theme every month. Mm -hmm. And let's say there's five books around that theme. So we curate the list. Uh, if we had 50 people here... Uh, 10 people would read the same book, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. another 10 would read another book, and yep. so on and so forth. Yep. The first 45 minutes to an hour discussion would be traditional book club. What did you like? What didn't you like? Yep. Amongst your group. Among the group that read your book. Yep, yep. The second hour is going to be people who read a different book. Okay. And so now you're talking about the theme and what each of you bring from your book to that conversation. Oh, nice. And then uh, build out some accountability partners to say, okay, what are you going to do around that theme of creativity as an example? Yep. Uh, in the next month before you yeah, come back. That's cool. So I don't even have to read these books. I can just kind of get the themes. Right. In, 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 ideally, you would read one to yeah, contribute but read one. to the yes, group. Yes, but yes. but uh, then you might say, hey, I've, I've read it now. I'm going to trade, uh, trade with someone else and that's walk great. away with a different book than you came in with. That's awesome. When are these going to start? Most so, likely, we're... The fall. I, the, the fa yeah, fall seems about right. Summer, some of this stuff is going to get piloted this summer. Cool. But just from a timing standpoint, the fact that it's almost... It's not even almost June. Yeah, it's June. It is June. As we have this yeah. uh, conversation, fall sounds about right. Is um, and I saw you at the Venture Cafe. Are you doing a gig there? Uh, ongoing gig, or is that just a one-off? Uh, it was just a one-off. We okay. Kendi had been headquartered up at CIC before we moved okay. here. Okay. I still keep myself a tiny little closet sure. office up there. Why wouldn't you? Uh, but uh, yeah, they wanted a little help. We love, we love them. And I'll say this uh, about that community in particular: there seems to be this huge amount of competitiveness around uh, downtown and CIC as an innovation district and yeah, startups, yeah. except from the people who are actually in the business of running them. Right. Other like, than the people that are actually there who don't between care. Between Dugan, who, who's just left, Kim is yeah. this way, yeah. uh, Travis and yeah. Corey at yeah. Venture Capital. Like, there's this amazing amount of collaborative uh, energy in this town. Yeah. And it's only the people who seem to be sniping from the sidelines who think there's a competition. Yeah. But like we're two subway stops away from each other in New York City. Totally. From one another. Yeah. And I, you can see one from the other almost. Yes. And the fact that we look at ourselves as separate districts is astounding to me. That is funny. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty happening. Are you bullish on the startup scene here? Are you bullish on the scene? So I'm also the founder of Invisible Girlfriend and Invisible Boyfriend. Okay. 
And so these are startups. Those are startups. I don't know what they are. It's a startup. Awesome. Uh, it, it's a. It came out of a startup weekend two years ago. I might remember this. Yeah, it's a. It's a service that helps you tell a better story about a relationship you're not actually in. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, because filament has been happening before that, uh, Kyle Tabor, an original team member, has been running the running with that for the last two years. I think the startup scene, there are some significant challenges here in town. Mm -hmm. uh, one is funding the unfamiliar. Okay. So Invisible Girlfriend, Invisible Boyfriend, as you might imagine just from the name, yeah. is we were the only people doing what we were doing in the right. country. Uh, we made the Today Show three days after we launched. Wow. Yet we struggled to get funding here because people in St. Louis didn't always get it Yeah. Uh, in the way that they get biotech. Yep, yep. Right? In the way they just get, get any other tech traditional, that you get it. Yes. traditional B2B stuff. Yep. So I think that there's some maturity that will come in the tech scene here in town mm -hmm. as people, as we have some exits and there's more people who've done something similar before. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're at a disadvantage by not having a broad variety of mm -hmm. successful startups in this town. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, we also tend, I think, to hold on to startups and prop them up perhaps longer than they should be. Right. Uh, I'm not the one who's come up with this, but there's been a, a lot of talk, only a partial jest, about needing a startup hospice in this town. <laughs> because in many other communities, yeah. failure is not discouraged. It's, it's, it's you celebrated need to quickly get over it. Right, it makes sense. And especially in that business, if it's not working, that's the whole point of agile development, that, right? That's exactly Kill right. It quickly and move on and keep the talent and disperse and go help with something else. And and, and that's just it, is the yeah. disbursement of talent. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a bit of a talent shortage in this town that uh, if startups failed faster, yeah. people would have three or four or five startups on their resume in the course of five years like they do in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Versus one or two like they have here. That just kept going and going and kept them kind of on life support. A little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Well, those are two good lessons. I've heard that second one a few times just as a, a thought. And you're probably much more familiar with it than I am. All right, my friend. Well, is there anything else that we didn't cover? I think I, we got a lot I of just, I This is fantastic. I love the... Uh, I'd love for anyone who's listening to come visit yeah. Filament. Uh, website is thefilament.com. Yep. Filament yep. is in the thing in the light bulb. Yep. And uh, we've got an open house on Tuesday the 14th, which you may or may not may be hearing this. Perfect. I will drop it that day. Perfect. If you Perfect. guys drop it, if you before. guys hear it on the 14th. Yeah. Uh, Today's the 14th, I think. For, if Perfect. everything goes well, come tonight. I love, I'll I put love that. time travel. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, would love to have anybody come by and look at this. Perfect. Place. So it'll be after work, 6 o'clock? Uh, from 3 until about 7.30. Oh, 3 to 7.30. I'm sure there'll be cocktails. Yes, there will right. be. Come on. Matthew, thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. That was awesome. Hurry.